Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to Prospect Magazine's podcast, Headspace, where we bring together prospects, editors and experts and push the question, what's the big idea? I'm Tom Clark, and this week we're talking football. The World Cup is just around the corner and people are getting ready for what's widely regarded as the greatest show on earth. But with all the scandals that have clouded FIFA and questions surrounding the way countries bid to host the tournament, is it standing under threat? Are we in fact at risk of falling out of love with the World Cup? The World Cup's not going to disappear, but... Over time, I think it may become harder to love, and especially, especially in the first world, where I think we, we're, I think we become a little bit more aware of, of what's, what's going on in various parts of the world. In conversation this week, are Jonathan Liu of The Independent and prospect Steve Bloomfield. Jonathan has written an extended essay on the plight of world football in the current issue of the magazine, and we now go to them for their discussion. Jonathan Liu, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so... Can we start with a bit of reminiscing? What was the first World Cup that you remember really getting excited about? Um, I suppose 98 was... I I remember 94 in America, uh, but I guess the one I really got excited about was 1998 in France because I was was 12 years old, I think, and of that age where you're just about old enough to know about all the teams and, and... for anticipation to build over, you know, seeing certain players that you hadn't seen, you know, ever, I guess. Uh, so that that was probably the one. And the fact that it was kind of on our doorstep, even though I didn't go, was um, that that kind of added a little extra friss onto it, I think. And what was it about being a child who loves football, having a World Cup to watch every day for for a whole month? What was it about that tournament that that really drew you in? I think it's the immersion, the immersiveness rather of it that you have is it 30, 31 days of, of pure football and for the first maybe 15, 16 of them there are two or three games every single day and I remember coming home, rushing home from school and trying to get, get back in time for the for the opening game which was Brazil-Scotland if I remember rightly um, and just you know collecting all the wall charts um, filling it filling in the names as they progress from the groups um and it it was just there wasn't a huge amount of football on tv even in the in the late 90s a lot of it had gone to sky sports you got your match of the day on on a saturday night and you got the fa cup but to be able to see the world's best players you know, twice a day two or three times a day for a whole month was was kind of um it was really novel at the time and i, and I think 
as you get older, you know, and, and you see more international tournaments, it, it becomes more of a, yeah, you get a, a little bit more blasé about it. But at, at the time, yeah, it was a um, real thrill. And I guess, yeah, you know, everyone who's a football fan has that has that tournament. You know, for me, it was Italia '90 and David Platt scoring the goal against Belgium, and and Roger Miller celebrating in the goals he scored for Cameroon. But it's not just about nostalgia, is it? Because something fundamental about the game has changed since the '90s to now, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the process was already was already happening by by '98. I mean, th- this great revolution that happened in the game in 1992 with the the European Cup expanding to to the Champions League, the the Premier League coming into into being, and also the Bosman ruling, which which allowed players to to move for free across the continent, really sort of opened up. It opened up the sport to uh, you know massive seismic changes, that financially driven, of course, but then obviously filtering through into into you know more broader social changes. The the kind of people that are watching football these days are really quite different to the ones that you would have found on on the terraces in the mid eighties or or even earlier. And let's talk about the. We'll come on to the money in a bit, but let's talk about um, the sort of the growing internationalization really of the game. Um, particularly here in England, you've got the Premier League now, which, you know, even in the 90s, it was still quite novel to have, oh, there's a foreign footballer playing for, oh, Arsenal have signed Dennis Bergkamp from, you know, they've signed him from a, a proper European club from Inter Milan. This idea of a, a great footballer coming to England was was very new. That's changed dramatically, hasn't it? Th- this idea of a World Cup being the one place where you get to see all these players that you've never, you know, may, may not have even heard of, let alone seen, isn't the ca- isn't the case now. No, that's quite right. I mean, I I may have to to double check this, but if I remember rightly, the first Premier League season in 1992, there were I think six foreign players, as in players from outside the British Isles, uh, Britain and Ireland, and around you know the mid 90s, Middlesbrough started signing, you know, like you say, Dennis, you know, Janino moved to to, to Middlesbrough. Uh, you know, Fabrizio Ravinelli, Dennis Emerson, Emerson Franco. right? And and these are these are names that that held such exoticism. I think that you wouldn't have seen outside a World Cup, and you wouldn't have seen outside you know European Cup finals, for example. Um, and they they still held you know a real a real power to to entrance a football fan that that, that wasn't exposed to these players on a weekly basis. Now, of course. You know, I think it was the, the the late '90s when Arsenal first played a, or Chelsea actually first played a, a playing eleven composed entirely of foreign players, and nowadays when you come to the World Cup, there's there, there are very few players that, or very few elite players that we won't have seen before. We know who we're looking out for, and I suppose the the upshot of that is kind of the death of mystery in a way that this this mystique that you know amazing foreign footballers used to have for us just doesn't exist anymore in, in a world of you know, multi-channel TV and games from China and, and Australia and, and France and Portugal being being broadcast on a daily basis. And then there's also the issue about the standard of football. You know, there was this idea in the past that the World Cup was, you know, rightly or wrongly, it was seen as this is the pinnacle of football excellence. You know, people talk about the Brazil team of 1970 or so on. That's not the case now, is it? No. I mean, I, I think it, it's hard to argue that on a purely qualitative level the world cup is still the pinnacle of the game i mean i mean and that that's really just down to finances in in that the top six or seven european clubs you're thinking barcelona real madrid Bayern munich those those sorts of clubs have concentrated first of all the wealth but then 
the you know, the good players, the the expertise, the coaching expertise, the sports science, the analytics, um, and the competitive experience to raise their level of football to you know beyond well possibly anything we've seen before, and certainly beyond the level that a national side with it's it's quite you know it's quite natural boundaries of you know you know the limitations placed on it can achieve so I, I, th- I suppose that with World Cup these days is it's not like a, it, it's not like a second tier competition it's obviously you know really really elite football but if you look at the, some of the coaches involved you'd struggle to you'd struggle to put any of the coaches at this summer's World Cup in the top bracket of coaches in on a global level because the best ones are simply in club football so we don't have the sense of mystery that we had before. The quality of football isn't the the peak that we uh, would have in, enjoyed before. That's that's the football side of things. Might still be fun though. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll, <laughs> don't worry. We'll, we'll come. We'll we'll circle back to why it's fun at the end. So that's the football side of things. There is uh, there is a darker side to the problems with the World Cup now, aren't there? Um, let's before we talk about Russia and Qatar talk about FIFA, the the international body that, that runs football. Um, briefly, <laughs> and uh, without getting us into any legal trouble, uh, bring us up to speed with, with the problems that organisation has had over the past few years. Huh. Yeah, so how long is this podcast? Um, <laughs> well, I, I suppose, the, the, to, to summarise, I mean, we've got to go, go back a little bit. I mean, sure. in the 70s, um, FIFA was um, was broadened out. Uh, it was it was made a lot more egalitarian. It wasn't just the until that point the same few countries had, had essentially wielded a, a disproportionate amount of power. And what uh, this guy called João Havelange from Brazil realised was that if you gave every single country a vote, all two hundred and ten of them an equal vote, uh, you could essentially secure power forever by you know giving them giving them things. And so he promised, and and Sepp Blatter, who who ran the organisation for about you know I think twenty almost twenty years um, after him, and then then took up that you know that kind of cause of if you keep the two hundred and ten nations happy by giving them a you know giving them money essentially yeah. uh, that you can essentially secure a form of patronage for yourself, and where that money went uh, became I think the source of a lot of FIFA's problems where people were. Well, I think it's 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 not you know it's not legally due to say people were pocketing it. Mm. People were taking millions of pounds that were going to, you know, some grassroots facility in, in in West Africa or you know setting up a women's team in in some Pacific island and basically just you know the money, the money just disappeared. And this kind of this whole system of of kickbacks and graft and money sloshing through the system and just disappearing uh, was, I think. It, the root of of why FIFA is so distrusted these days. So there's been various issues, shall we say, with FIFA and how it's been run. Um, those have come to the, those came to a head uh, in the past few years regarding uh, two things really. Well, there? there was the decision of where the 2018 and 2022 World Cups were going to be hosted. Uh, and then there was also an FBI investigation, uh, FBI and IRS investigation uh, into uh, allegations of corruption against individuals within FIFA. That's right. And the FBI investigation came off the back of those those World Cup bids, essentially. So this would have been in late 2010. That So the, 
the 2018 World Cup was awarded to Russia, 2022 to Qatar. Uh, the USA was one of the defeated countries in the 2022 bid. And off the back of that, the F- the FBI decided to, to launch an, an inquiry into um, payments made to various members of the FIFA executive committee. And it, was, it was quite an astonishing investigation. It, involving, it involved um, Chuck Blazer brilliantly named Chuck Blazer who was uh, a FIFA executive yeah who had a he had a whole suite in fact did he have two suites in the Trump Tower there was an allegation he had one just for his pets one for his cats was yeah. the was the story I, I, I'm not, I'm not exactly <laughs> whether it was true you know it's, it was a great story yeah. whether whether or not it's true but uh, he he wore a wire didn't he yes he he was uh Chuck Blazer who had for years been uh you know at the center of all this uh, he 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 then turned on on a lot of his former colleagues, and the reason that the FBI could uh, could pursue this was that this a lot of this money was um, basically being funneled through U.S. banks, and so um, about three or four years ago now, um, the FBI just, just essentially raided the the hotel in Switzerland, in Bordeaux, luxury hotel where all the FIFA committee members were staying, and essentially in really quite extraordinary scenes led just led them away in handcuffs there was a, a, a quite fantastic photograph of the hotel staff literally holding up dirty linen to protect these people from being seen from photographers as they left the hotel yeah it was it was really quite quite the most um extraordinarily undignifying scene these are guys that they get incredibly lavish travel expenses they are you know flown from luxury hotel to luxury hotel you know being a fifa executive committee member is a pretty lucrative gig and essentially to be to be led away in handcuffs with people holding up linen in front of them kind of encapsulated what made this uh this whole collapse so extraordinary um many of those people have, have pled guilty uh set blatter it's worth pointing out um although accused of uh some irregularities and was suspended uh, by FIFA hasn't had any criminal charges. Still pleads him. his innocence. Still uh, pleads his innocence. Very loudly and very vehemently. It's also worth pointing out uh, that Russia and Qatar, with their successful bids, again, there's been no uh, charges brought against them. I, Russia, I believe, destroyed all their computers. Russia destroyed all their bid computers. Right. Uh, yep. as, soon as, the, as soon as they won the bid. Um, what happened after the, the bids were won and lots of allegations of corruption were made, uh, is that FIFA commissioned uh, this American fellow called, called Michael Garcia to do a report, then issued the report, uh, sorry, issued an executive summary of the report, uh, which essentially cleared everyone of every of all wrongdoing. Garcia then disowned his own report, and the, the, I think the full the full thing is never is never quite seen the light of day. We've seen various redacted versions of it, but essentially FIFA cleared everybody involved and said it's all fine. We've got this under control. Uh, Set Blatter obviously is gone. We've got they have a new president in Gianni Infantino, and the message now coming out of Zurich is that they are cleaning the game up, and and there's nothing more to see here. Right. So this is good. The there was nothing wrong with what Russia did. There was nothing wrong with what Qatar did. All the people that were bad have gone. We've got this new broom in Gianni Infantino. He's running a a clean operation. Except, didn't he get rid of various people on the ethics committee who were investigating him? Uh, that is correct. Yes, he did get rid of various people on the ethics committee that, that were investigating him. It was it was some um, some kind of minor procedural um, complaints, I think that, that uh, 
it, yeah, but but yeah, they they were investigating him as as part of his um as part of his work for um you know for FIFA during the Blatter era, and his his role in it, his direct role in it, is is not quite clear. He uh is essentially been accused of having members of the of of that ethics committee removed, and it's brief subtly shifted um away from away from him it might be fair to say um is it then fair to say that you know the story that fifa tries to tell that everything is now fine in the world of football isn't quite true i think i think it's i, I don't think it's quite true i mean I, the interesting thing is i, I was talking to to gary lineker i interviewed gary lineker uh, for, for the independent uh, a few weeks ago and he went to went out to Russia to, to host the World Cup draw in December and he was criticized a lot for that because during the Blatter era he he has been one of the, the main you know one of the main critics of FIFA and, and the corruption that went on there. And as part of as part of that he did a lot of his own investigation. He talked to a lot of people and you know this is not this is not you know take take his word, you know, as you as you will, but he feels that they're cleaning it up. He, he talked to Zvonimir Boban, who's the former AC Milan and Croatia striker, who's now kind of a assistant secretary there. And he he thinks that things are improving and that, that while FIFA are making a lot of still making a lot of terrible decisions, expanding the, the World Cup to, to 48 teams is is one of them. Uh, that he, he feels that the, the culture of, of, you know, corruption and kickbacks is slowly being eroded. Now, I think the wider world will need a lot more convincing that that is true. Because uh, you know the the stories that, that are still coming out of FIFA, uh, you know, are, are still still don't make pleasant reading. When we look forward to this World Cup, um, I wonder whether "look forward" is really the right phrase. But as we prepare for this World Cup, you've got this backdrop of ethical issues. Uh, you've got the issue over whether it was right or not for Russia to be hosting it, and you've got the issue of international geopolitics with Russia today. It makes it a slightly difficult tournament for people to get excited about doesn't it i think so yeah i mean i wonder these days if the world cup is a little bit harder to love than it was now the the caveat to that is that the world cup has never quite been been clean it's never quite been pure i mean it, in 1978 a very very strong evidence that the argentine the argentine military government um had had arranged for matches to be fixed or uh you know arranged for for argentina to essentially win the tournament on home, on home soil in, you know, in 1934 it was used by mussolini exactly it was his, it was hosted in italy and it was a massive propaganda massive propaganda coup for them so it, it's never been clean but I, I think the fact that the the circumstances surrounding russia's bid uh the geopolitics surrounding russia obviously human rights issues the the ethical question of whether this this tournament should have been going to Russia at all does create, I, I think, a, a certain a certain cynicism, which I don't think we can just put down to us not being kids anymore and not mm. being really excited about the World Cup. It will be a great tournament because World Cups are just fantastic festivals of football wherever they're held. But I think there is this slightly unsettling undercurrent that is going to that is going to run through the whole thing, um, and I think that that's kind of what what makes it slightly harder to get on board with this World Cup and obviously Qatar in four years time will, will be even worse in that respect. Well indeed and and this is you know one of the arguments you make in in the Peace in Prospect is that this could be the beginning of 
don't want to quite say the beginning of the end of the World Cup, but it's it will no longer be the thing it was before. No, and th- there's there's no guarantee. I think that the World Cup will be the preeminent sporting event for the, you know the whole of perpetuity. It's it's very possible that in expanding it to forty eight teams, in diluting its quality, in taking it to countries that shouldn't frankly be hosting anything, let alone a, you know, the, the world's biggest sporting event, that people are essentially going to fall out of love with it, and. You don't want to go too far down this road because, you know, it generates so much revenue and it does have such resonance around the world that it's never going to, you know, it's not, the World Cup's not going to disappear. But over time, I think it may become harder to love. And especially, especially in the first world where I think we, we're, I think we've become a little bit more aware of, of what's, what's going on in various parts of the world. And the idea of a, of a World Cup, a 48 team World Cup in Qatar in 2022 does not hold really any enthusiasm for a lot of people and if we go the further we go down that path the harder the world cup is going to be to get excited about and yet you will be quite excited about it when it kicks off won't you oh yeah i mean (laughs) absolutely i mean (laughs) even though the first game is russia saudi arabia which perhaps isn't the most exciting of opening games el gasico they're calling it (laughs) it doesn't quite work saudi arabia more more of an oil state but we'll we'll but still but still um, just briefly before we end, what are the things you are excited about it? I'm excited to see the Spain team. I'm excited to see Brazil under Tite. I mean, some of the we, we talk about the dilution of talent, but the, some of the the players in in the Spain and Brazil and and France squads uh, are just absolutely ridiculous. I, I really, you know, I really want to see you know smaller countries like um, Egypt, who who have you know the great Mo Salah, obviously. Uh, and Iceland, who were playing their first World Cup, for for countries like you know for countries like Egypt and Iceland who haven't played a World Cup in a generation, if ever, mm. the this is a genuinely momentous national you know moment for them. Uh, momentous moment. That's not that's not a great phraseology, but you know <laughs> we know what you mean. Yeah, it, and that's that's what I think increasingly the World Cup is is about. It's about countries punching above their weight on 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 this big stage. Uh, that's that's what I'm excited about. You know, I'm excited about seeing what it means to people. Fans will come from all over the world. Not as many as, as went to Brazil four years ago, but you know, th- th- they'll be there. It'll be colourful. It'll be loud. It'll be probably chaotic. Uh, but I think that that strikes at the nub of what what the World Cup is about. Jonathan Liu, thank you very much. Thanks. So that's it for this week. I'm Tom Clark. The producer was Jay Elwes. To read Jonathan's essay on the World Cup, they think it's all over visit our website at www.prospectmagazine.co.uk. While you're there, check out our subscriptions rates. They're incredibly reasonable. Please be sure to tune in again soon to the Prospect Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.